You're listening to Radio Looks Listen. I'm your host, Steve Matthews. Thanks for joining me for episode 79. The title of this episode is Justin Trudeau Trolls the Truckers and Other COVID News. Well, thanks for joining me here. That's today is, well, it's at the very end of Saturday, uh, Saturday, February the 5th, 2022. So thanks for joining me here on the live stream and also to everybody listening on the on the podcast. I hope everybody had a great week this week. You know, here in Cincinnati, we had our first real taste of uh, winter weather. It was kind of interesting on Thursday. We had this uh, pretty much an all-day ice storm. And then we got some snow on top of that. And it wasn't a whole lot of snow, but just a little bit, maybe a, a couple inches or something like that in my area. But the the ice underneath that, uh, that snow is really something. And I went out to shovel the driveway and all that, and you couldn't even break through the ice. It's kind of interesting. Tonight, I, I got a an email as well as a phone call from an automated phone call from my church, and they said that they weren't able to clear the parking lot at church. For the same reason, I guess they were able to get the top layer of snow off, but there's all this ice that's still, that under underlying ice pack is still there. And they were cautioning people, you know, hey, you know, you may not want to come if you're you're concerned about maybe taking an injury or a spill or something like that. So, well, I'm going to brave it. I'm going to I'm going to be a man. I'm going to going to show up for uh, uh, for church in the morning. But I, I know that it's not that that's not something maybe that everybody has a you know, has a, a choice to be able to do. And at least they let people know about that. So that was good. Uh, you know, this past week we had uh, we had Groundhog Day. Yes, we had Groundhog Day, and, and probably people in other parts of the world maybe think everybody in the United States is insane, and I don't know, maybe maybe they are. I don't know. You know I was actually motivated to look up an article, and I found an article on, uh, on Britannica talking about Groundhog Day. And this is what it says. It says, a Groundhog Day in the United States and Canada. See, I didn't know that they had that in Canada. So I learned something right there. It's, it's in Canada. I thought it was just the United States, but no, they had this in Canada. It's February 2nd. It's uh, on which the emergence of the groundhog, or woodchuck, Hermes Burrow is said to foretell the weather for the following six weeks. The beginning of February, which falls roughly halfway between the winter solstice and the spring equinox, has long been a significant time of the year in many cultures. Among the Celts, for example, it was the time of Imbolc. Observed in anticipation of the birth of farm animals and the planting of crops. And February 2nd is also the day of the Christian festival of Candlemas. Okay, I didn't know any of that stuff. Since 1887, an animal in Punxsutawney, that's Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, in the west central part of the state has been the center of a staged appearance each February 2nd. What has become a media event, the groundhog designated Punxsutawney Phil is the center of attention of television weathermen and newspaper photographers. Although promoters of the local festival surrounding Punxsutawney Phil claim that the animals have never been wrong, an examination of the records indicates a correlation of less than 40%. Hmm. Guess Phil doesn't have a very good track record, it seems. Whether a groundhog does or does not emerge is thought to be related to the amount of fat it was able to store before going into hibernation. Canada has a number of groundhogs that serve as weather prognosticators, perhaps the best known being those portraying uh, Weirton Willie. Hmm, never heard of Weirton Willie. A white-furred, pink-eyed creature that has appeared on the Bruce Peninsula, northwest of Toronto since 1956. Hmm. Very interesting. Anyway, so that's the big rundown on, on Groundhog Day. I hope you had a great Groundhog Day. Uh, you know, there's an interesting thing, too. 
in the news that I saw it this week, there's a, this rumor that's going around that, that Bill de Blasio, the former commie mayor of New York, killed a groundhog. I guess a few years ago on Groundhog Day. So I actually went out and I went to Snopes. Now, I'm not a big, huge fan of Snopes, but I figured, you know, why not at least uh, see what they had to say? So they ask here, this is a fact-checking website, did Bill de Blasio kill a groundhog? This old Groundhog Day rumor is circulating again. And what's interesting is you go down and and they're rating on this. In fact, let me see if I can get that uh, up here on the screen. Yeah, there we go. They actually call it a, a mixture. I don't say it's false. It's a mixture. And they say here that during a Groundhog Day ceremony in 2014, New York Mayor Bill de Blasio accidentally dropped a groundhog. A few days later, that groundhog passed away. However, a spokesperson for the Staten Island Zoo said that de Blasio that the de Blasio incident and the groundhog's death were unrelated. So I guess... Bill de Blasio did drop a, a groundhog, but at least according to the Staten Island Zoo, it had nothing to do with the groundhog uh, subsequently dying a few days later. So uh, who knows? But I would say that that would be the least of the sins of, of Bill de Blasio, who did uh, more than his fair share of, of wrecking New York City. With uh, with the COVID stuff and all of the, the other garbage he's done over the years he he's kind of left new york a smoldering ruin kind of a one-man wrecking crew so i mean maybe he should just go back to to dropping groundhogs i guess maybe if that's the only thing that he did during his time as mayor i guess maybe they wouldn't have a whole lot to complain about anyway um oh i did have one announcement i did want to mention here today i just got my podcast added today to Spotify. So if you want to listen to Radio Looks Lucid on Spotify, you have the Spotify podcatcher. Just go on there. You can just type in Radio Looks Lucid. It's going to come up. There's no other Radio Looks Lucid out there. So um, if you want to go ahead and uh, sign up for that feed, you can do it that way. Of course, I'm still on Apple Podcasts as well. So you can uh, subscribe to the the uh, Apple uh, podcast feed of Radio Looks Lucid. Also, of course, you can listen to it on my blog. And I do post on the uh, Thorn Crown Ministries website as well, so you can get the podcast there. And finally, one last place, I do have a very small uh, Substack account that I started a few months ago. I haven't really pushed it a whole lot to advertise it, but I've just kind of been putting stuff out there, if nothing else, because it's a free speech website, and I, I do want to promote those kinds of websites. So it's uh, called The Scripturalist. If you go on to to Substack and you, you type in the scripturalist, you should see the uh, my account come up and you can subscribe to that feed as well. And I do post not only blog posts out there, but I also put out the uh, the weekly podcast as well. So that's one last way that you can can get Radio Looks Lucid. All right. So enough of that stuff. The I wanted to get started here. Why don't we get down to the business at hand here today? And the business at hand in this particular case is uh, is dealing with uh, Justin Trudeau and his his trucker buddies, which uh, aren't really his buddies at all. And he seems to have nothing but utter disdain for them and for anybody else who, uh, say, might support them. There's a tweet that he put out. This was oh, February 1st. It was earlier this week. And this tweet, I, I think maybe more than anything else I've seen from him, really kind of encapsulates Justin Trudeau's disdain for what he views as the peasantry or what we would just say ordinary middle class Canadians. 
So this is what he said. I'm going to go ahead and read this tweet here to you. Today in the House, members of Parliament unanimously condemned the anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, anti-black, that's black with a capital B, anti-black racism, homophobia, and transphobia that we've seen on display in Ottawa over the past number of days. Together, let's keep working to make Canada more inclusive. So what you have here is a word salad from this scared little boy of a prime minister. This guy, he's just this, he's this, this arrogant little fop. And... He wants to. He puts together this tweet, and in this tweet, what he does, he just throws in every woke insult I think he could think of off the top of his head. And the other thing, notice what he didn't say. He never once addressed their concerns about the vaccines, about all the mandates, about all the lockdowns, about all of the stuff that he is substantially responsible for foisting on the Canadian people. And they finally said enough of this stuff, and we're pushing back on it. But Justin Trudeau doesn't even want to acknowledge any of that. He doesn't want to, he wants to pretend as though none of that's a factor. And these are just very, very bad people with very, very bad motives. And they don't deserve even so much as be listened to, even acknowledged. They're beneath his contempt. And of course, Justin Trudeau has kind of become the poster child of this sort of thing, this sort of arrogant, out of touch elite that has taken over what used to be known as the free world. I heard a, a song that I guess it's a, a protest song that some uh, Canadian band did. It's, it's called Keep on Trucking in the Free World. And it was, I guess it's obviously it's a, a takeoff on Neil Young's Keep on Rocking in the Free World. And it's actually a pretty good, pretty good song. Um, that thing actually really rocks, but <laughs> I'm sure Neil Young wouldn't like it at all. But these guys, you know, it's just, it's amazing to me the level of disdain that and it's not just Justin Trudeau. I mean, I'm just I'm using him because he right now is the most prominent person out there that is is really acting like uh, lording it over his people. You know, he's exactly that kind of guy. And I've mentioned this before, and it bears mentioning again. Remember Jesus' words. You know, the rulers of the Gentiles love to lord, you know lord it over them, and those who exercise authority like to be called benefactor. So I mean, these are people. These are very arrogant people, and they. They like to uh, to exercise their authority. They, they love bossing people around, lording it over people. But they want people to think, oh, what a great benefactor I am. So, I mean, here's Justin Trudeau out there. He's trying to, to polish his woke credentials and uh, show everybody just, just how, how righteous he is. You know, he's, he put the, he, he littered the, littered Twitter with all of the, you know, all of the, the woke uh, the woke insults that he could find, and and I guess he probably thinks he's maybe maybe a really righteous dude. I I don't know, but he's he's insufferable, and he's like so many other of these uh, political leaders, and not just political leaders, but people in the media, people in uh, religious leaders, Christian leaders. You think about uh, academic leaders. Think about people in the entertainment industry. I mean, the level of arrogance and the way they talk down to people is just, I, I've never seen it like this in the so-called free world. I mean, we used to talk about that. We used to actually talk about the free world. You know, I grew up during the Cold War, and you know, you had the, the Soviet Union, and it was all gray and terrible and, and, and all of this stuff, and it was bad. But then we had the free world, I and mean, we were great because we were the free world, you know, and we didn't you know, do these kinds of sort of random uh, 
things where you're locking people down, taking their rights rights away, destroying their businesses, destroying their lives, uh, forcing them to take medicine that they don't want to take. I mean, that would have been unthinkable. You know, when I was growing up in the 70s and 80s, that was unthinkable that something like this could take place. And yet here we go, and it's the new normal. I mean, that's that's the way they try to sell this thing to us. But I mean, all Justin Trudeau can do is he can just, all he does is just name call. He never addresses any of the concerns and pretends as though by doing this, that it's all going to go away. And I don't think that's going to happen. And, and I pray that it doesn't happen. And I pray that people, that Justin Trudeau and other people like him get their well-deserved comeuppance. You know, last week we talked some about how he mentioned that the truckers and their opinions were unacceptable. So I guess you have the unacceptables up there in, in Canada, just kind of like what we have here in, in America. We have the, we have the deplorables. You know, Hillary Clinton called us the, the deplorables back in 2016. So you got the deplorables here in the United States and you got the unacceptables up there in Canada. But it, it's the same attitude. I mean, Justin Trudeau has the same attitude to the Canadian people as Hillary Clinton does to the American people and uh, Barack Obama and any number of other people out there who have shown very clearly their disdain for uh, for the people that, that they claim that they want to govern and that they want to represent. This is an interesting article, kind of along those same lines, and this is by Paul Craig Roberts, and the, the headline is pretty striking. He says, Austria, a resurrected Third Reich. And, you know, he's right about that. I mean, that's, that's exactly what you see going on in, in Austria, where they're, or, you know, they have set a hard date by which everybody has to be vaccinated. And if they don't get vaccinated, I believe they incur a pretty high fine. And the, the country seems to be quite all right with that. And one of the points that he makes in, I don't know if it's in this article, maybe it's in another one, is that it's, it's not these uh, bureaucrats in Austria that are imposing it. It's actually the elected representatives of the people that have, have done this, have, have supported this. And I've also said this before, too, and that is with this whole thing with COVID, it really does seem like the, uh, the Nazis have been resurrected. I mean, this is just flat-out fascism. This is virtually the dictionary definition of fascism. I thought he wrote something very well here, and he said this quite well. I'm going to go ahead and just read this paragraph to you. He says this. This is Paul Craig Roberts. He says, Compulsory COVID vaccination is set to be imposed on Austrians. This is a direct violation of the Nuremberg Laws. Will the swastika go up all over Europe? Is there a mere ounce of intelligence and integrity anywhere in the Austrian government? It is an established fact that the COVID vaccine fails to protect. It is an established fact that COVID is deadly only to those with comorbidities who are not treated with effective means such as HCQ, ivermectin, or monoclonal antibodies. It is an established fact that the COVID vaccine results in a high rate of health injury and death. It is an established fact that the mass vaccination spawns new variants. It is an established fact that the vaccine is, therefore, counterproductive, end quote. And, and of course, Paul Craig Roberts is exactly right. But despite of all of those facts that he just laid out there quite nicely for us, the Austrian government is going to proceed, apparently, full steam ahead with uh, shoving these, these vaccines in everybody's arms. 
And it's just astounding to me that this is something that can go on, again, in countries that we would have considered not too long ago to be part of the free world. You know, that the, the Neil Young song, you know, he, he's out there, you know, keep on rocking in the free world. Well, we used to would have, we would have considered that the free world. I mean, that was Western Europe, you know, that was part of the, part of NATO. And, you know, they stood against the, you know, the, the Soviet Union, the Warsaw Pact and all the other stuff. But I mean, Austria, I mean, good grief. I mean, they've just seemed, it seems, I'm sure that's not true of all Austrians. I'm sure there are a lot of Austrians that don't like this stuff. You've seen demonstrations out there. So it certainly uh, strongly suggests that. Uh, but nevertheless, the government seems to be going uh, full bore with forcing vaccines, these very deadly vaccines, on on the entire population. I don't know. I mean, do they want to wipe out their entire population? I mean, as you know, some people have talked about that. You know, the possibility that the COVID shots are a depopulation uh, weapon, and you can't just dismiss that out of hand. I mean, that's something that a few years ago, if somebody had said that, I would have said, "Well, that seems like crazy conspiracy theory," but. I think it is certainly a possibility. It's not something that I can simply just dismiss and say, oh, well, that would never happen, because I think it very well could be happening. Now, the news with uh, COVID actually isn't all bad. And some other COVID news here, I wanted to mention, there was a a great piece that I saw from uh, the state of Washington. Here's the headline. It says, uh, well, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, uh, Washougal students protest states' mask mandates. Freedom fighters of Washougal go viral on Twitter, say they're continuing to miss school until state changes public health rules. And it was very impressive. I don't have the, I don't believe I have access to that. I thought that I saved it, but I I probably should have saved a link and I didn't. I always hate when I do that, when I miss something like that. Uh, I'll have to go back and find it. But anyway, the article here, and this is from apparently a, a local a local newspaper, it talks about the students at that school. And, and when you watch on, on Twitter, when you watch the, the address and the, the speaker at the time was, was this fellow here with the, uh, the baseball cap on in the foreground, he had some really good things to say. And I, I think this must be him here. I'm going to go ahead and read this. Uh, this is just, I'm going to quote this paragraph. Quote, we are just trying to gain back our rights as citizens. Kostal has told his peers gathered at Fishback Stadium on Monday, January 31st. The teachers, in the end, are just doing their jobs. The mandates don't come from them. They come from the state. Now, what we're hoping is that they kick us out. This sounds bad, but we're hoping that they kick us out because they have to report the attendance to the state. And if the state sees a day when 100 or so, I don't even know how many kids are absent, they're going to start asking questions. They can get me in trouble. They can suspend me. I don't care. We're done with the masks, and obviously all of you are too. Now, that's awesome. You know, I mentioned last week one of the great frustrations I have is seeing in the local high school here, they have a mask mandate in the school district. You know, I see the school buses go by and all these elementary school kids, they've all got their masks on. I see the high school students walking to high school sometimes in the morning, and they've all got their masks on. Uh, before, well before they're in school. And then I see them walking home and they still have their masks on in the afternoon, well after they're after school, out, out of, out of school. And I get frustrated with that. And I said to myself, you know, where's a teenage rebellion when you actually need it? You know, you always hear about teenage rebellion. You know, and, and of course, when we talk about teenage rebellion, it's usually getting themselves involved in something bad. But this is a case 
where these young people, these high school students, stood up for what was right, and they did it in a very impressive way. You know, it was civil disobedience. It was peaceful civil disobedience is what they were doing. And they said, we're sick of masks. We're done with these things. And, of course, they're right about that. But for whatever reason, the state, I don't know, the state board of education or who it is that, that's, that's pushing these things is requiring it, the still requiring masks of all these students. And I said, amen, when I saw this. I, 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 was, I was so happy to, to see high school students standing up and saying, enough is enough. And yes, they are fighting for their rights, and I completely agree with them, and, and I wish them all the best of success, that they, that they have the impact that they want to have and that they get those mask requirements dropped. Now, there's another, let's see, here's another story here I wanted to just mention this briefly. I'm kind of rolling through these things somewhat quickly because, well, the uh, I had so many articles this week. I hardly even knew what to where to start in some ways. It just seems like they come in like a flood. In fact, I'm finding new things even as I'm going through and and uh, and writing out my script today. I'm finding new stories. I'm like, oh, I got to include that in there. So here's one that I, I wanted to mention. I think I was going to... Well, no, I guess this, is, this was uh, from Monday, so it wasn't available last week. But here's the headline. Lockdowns had little or no impact on COVID-19 deaths, new study shows. Now, this is from the Washington Times. And it says this, lockdowns in the U.S. and Europe had little or no impact in reducing deaths from COVID-19, according, excuse me, according to a new analysis by researchers at Johns Hopkins University. The lockdowns during the early phase of the pandemic in 2020 reduced COVID-19 mortal- mortality by about 0.2%, so the broad review of multiple scientific studies. And they continue here. We find no evidence that lockdowns, school closures, border closures, and limiting gatherings have had a noticeable effect on COVID-19 mortality, the researchers wrote. But, and it continues, but the research paper said lockdowns did have a, quote, did have, quote, devastating effects, end quote, on the economy and contributing to numerous social ills. And here's the research as they continue, quote, they have contributed to reducing economic activity, raising unemployment, reducing schooling, causing political unrest, contributing to domestic violence, and undermining liberal democracy. The report said, such a standard benefit-cost calculation leads to a strong conclusion. Lockdown should be rejected out of hand as a pandemic policy instrument. The paper concluded. End quote. And of course, I'm not surprised that they would find that. That's exactly what I would expect. And we've talked about this in some prior podcasts, but as Bear's continually mentioning, and that is that the Bible does not support lockdowns in any way, shape, or form. And you can see this if you go into Leviticus and you look at the law in dealing with, with, um, uh, with leprosy. You know, there was no provision to lock down all of Israel to stop the spread. Yeah, you know, th- there was nothing where Moses went out and said, "Oh, you know, we we've got that. We need 15 days to flatten the curve. That leprosy is just getting out of hand." No, there was nothing like that. The principle in the Bible is that you quarantine sick people. You do not quarantine healthy people. You know, if somebody had leprosy. He showed himself to the priest. The priest verified, okay, yes, this person is a leper. Now that person would then be quarantined. 
But there was no general lockdown of all Israel. And this has always been the way that the medical community has dealt with epidemics. If you have, you know, typhoid, if you have various out, outbreaks of various things, you segregate people who are, uh, who are sick. You know, you, you put them in a sanitarium and everybody else goes about their business. So, I mean, there is a biblical argument for quarantines, but you quarantine sick people. You do not lock down healthy people. And lockdown is the same thing as quarantining them. And you look at all of the, the devastating effects, and I think this article does a good job. The John Hopkins researchers do a very good job of pointing out all of the, the deleterious effects of lockdowns. There's one thing they didn't mention specifically, and that is churches. I mean, what did this do to people's uh, spiritual health? What did it do to the relationship with Christ? What did it do to the churches? How much did it weaken churches? I saw an estimate, and this goes back a couple of years when they first started these lockdowns. There are some people saying that 20 or 30% of churches could close down as a result of the pandemic because of all the lockdowns, because people couldn't come, you know, attendance was down, giving was down, all this other stuff. Now, I don't know if that has panned out or not. Maybe somebody has those numbers. I haven't seen any. But it certainly wasn't good for the churches. Now, there were some churches that actually were heroic in standing up against these lockdowns. And I've mentioned uh, certainly uh, John MacArthur's church, Grace Community Church. Now, again, you know, John MacArthur has some problems theologically. He's not, you know, he's, he's had some issues. But in this particular area, he was absolutely right. He was absolutely right. They stayed open. They never masked up. They fought. They had, I don't know, uh, fines levied against the church, huge you know, millions of dollars in fines for doing this. And they ultimately ended up winning in court. And I, I really do think that in this particular area, John MacArthur showed Christians how to stand up against tyranny. You know, the Lord said, you know, it's the Lord's day when we we gather as a congregation to meet, to worship him, to to sing praises to him, to hear the word preached, to have fellowship. And you have the government comes and says, well, you can't do that. And if you sing Amazing Grace, you're killing grandma. I mean, what a bunch of hooey. I mean, that flies directly in the face of the word of God. And I, I think this is something that, that as Christians, you know, I, you know, look, most of us like to obey, obey the law, right? I mean, I think we all, as, as Christians, we don't want to be out there breaking the law. And maybe it's sometimes a little bit hard for people to think, okay, you know, I, I've always obeyed and done, you know, what the, what the mayor, what the governor, what the, the police tell me to do. Now all of a sudden I find myself just going about my normal business in life, and all of a sudden I'm a lawbreaker. Yeah, I want to go worship on the, on the Lord's Day on a Sunday morning. And the mayor's telling me I can't do that? And I'm a criminal? And somehow I'm, I'm violating the law if I do these things? And it can be, it can be intimidating. But you know, as Christians, you know, we must obey God rather than men. So I was proud of these, I was proud of the way that Grace Community Church handled that uh, the 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 immoral, unchristian pandemic orders are being handed down by the mayor, by the governor, whoever it was that was was in control of all that. 
And God did justify them by by keeping them together. By apparently the the church attendance grew, and and they they won their case. You know, and I, and I have to think that uh, that that was. I was certainly glad to see that. I was encouraged by that. So let's go on here. The next story I had here. Oh, um, there was a story, and this came back in, uh, this was back in early January. And it had a headline here. It said, Indiana Life Insurance CEO says deaths are up 40% among people ages 18 to 64. And I saw that and I thought, my goodness, you know, that's, that's such an outrageous increase that, I mean, surely either that can't be right or there has to be some additional corroboration from other sources in this. And when you read through the particular article, I'll just, it's a fairly short article. I'll read some of it here. The head of uh, Indianapolis-based insurance company One America said that the death rate is up a stunning 40% from pre-pandemic levels among working age people. We are seeing right now the highest death rates we have seen in the history of this business, not just in One America. The company's CEO, Scott Davison, said during an online news conference this week, the data is consistent across every player in that business. And I think I did mention this particular article a few weeks ago. And one of the things that really jumped out at me, of course, is the fact that he says it's not just at One America. And One America is a real company. And I think I mentioned this a, a few weeks ago. I actually interviewed for a job there. And I know people that work there at One America. So this is a real company. And it's a big company. It's a very well-established company, been around since you know well over 100 years, going back in the 19th century they were founded. So they've been around a while. It says, in fact, they've been there since 1877. It says right here in the article. It's a $100 billion insurance company. So when he comes out and, and the CEO is saying this kind of thing, it gets your attention. That's a credible source. Well, there have been some additional stories that have come out here in the subsequent weeks. Here's one. This is published on January 13th. It's got a headline that says, Life insurers adopt pandemic risk models after claims jump. And this is a an article. It's from Reuters. It, uh, it's uh, out of London. And it says this, A coronavirus pandemic which lasts five years, another pandemic in a decade, and ever more transmissible variants are among the scenarios life insurers are predicting after COVID-19 claims jump more than expected in 2021. The global life insurance industry was hit with the reported claims due to COVID-19 of 5.5 billion in the first nine months of 2021 versus 3.5 billion for the whole of 2020, according to insurance broker Howden in a report on January 4th. While the industry had expected lower payouts due to the rollout, rollout of the vaccine. So did you, so let's go back and just talk about that briefly. So in the first nine months of 2021, so this is January 1st through the end of September, the global life insurance paid out $5.5 billion in claims. The prior year in 2020, for the full year, for the full 12 months, they paid out $3.5 billion. So I guess apparently the fourth quarter numbers from 2021 are not yet ready. But I would imagine we would be getting those probably sometime here in February. And it's going to be very interesting to see what that uh, the final number for 2021 is. It's probably going to be, you know, I mean, it's reasonable to say it's probably going to be twice that of, of 2020. I wouldn't be surprised if you get to a figure of $7 billion, maybe even more than that. 
And of course, what they note here, and I think this is very important, it says while the industry, so you have this explosion in, in claims, but it says here, while the industry had expected lower payouts due to the rollout of the vaccines. Well, so they got, they really got whacked here because not only did they not get lower payouts, they got higher payouts. I mean, we've heard this whole time. Oh, the vaccine, the vaccine, the vaccine, the vaccine. It's going to save everybody. It's going to save everything. Everything's going to be wonderful if we all just get the vaccine. And if you don't all get the vaccine, well, it's a pandemic of the unvaccinated. And our patience is wearing thin, you know, said our, our uh, Biden tyrant up there in Washington a few months ago. What a horrible man. You know, he's, he's right there with Justin Trudeau in terms of his officiousness and, and his arrogance and, and his out-of-touchness if that's a word. So that was another article. And then there was a a third article that I found. In fact, this just came out. This was, you know, this was just today here. Yeah. It's, it has a, the date of Saturday, February the 5th, 2022. And the headline is long funeral home, short life insurers, Ex BlackRock fund manager discovers disturbing trends in mortality. Now, this is from Zero Hedge. Now, Zero Hedge is principally a financial website. They publish a lot of financial news. So, if maybe you're wondering about that title a little bit, where it says "long funeral home, short life insurers," well, that's that's borrowed from financial terminology. For instance, if you think a a stock at a company is going to go up, you you go long. In other words, you buy the stock and hoping that your your profit from the rise in the the uh, the value of that stock over time. On the other hand, if you think the a company is business is declining and you think the stock price is going to fall, you can do what's called a short sell. And when you shell, sell a, a stock short, what you do is you actually profit when the price of that stock goes down. So if you you've got a business that you think is not doing very well. Well, you don't want to you don't want to go long that stock because the stock's probably going to go down. So if you think that if you think the business isn't going to do well and you want to profit by trying to profit from the decline, you sell it short. So what he's saying is here is is this particular analyst with or ex analyst with BlackRock. He's saying I think the funeral home business is is on, is going to rise, is doing better. It's it's in a in an uptrend, and I think the life insur- insurers life insurance business is in a downtrend because of all the payouts that they have. You know, the funeral homes are going up because lots more people are dying than what we would expect them to, to die. And these life insurers are, as a result, are having to pay out a lot more claims. And just read through this briefly. Four weeks ago, one American insurance company CEO, Scott Davison, so it's referring back to that first story we talked about, Four weeks ago, one American insurance company CEO, Scott Davison, revealed that they had witnessed the highest death rates in the history of this business, not just at One America with a jump of over 40% over what they were pre-pandemic. Interestingly, Davison noted that the majority of deaths are not classified as due to COVID-19. And here's a, a tweet by this Edward Dowd. He's the analyst, the ex-BlackRock fund manager, I should say. And he says this, so a CEO in his own words, they are mandating vaccines in the workplace and raising premiums in lower vaccinated uh, counties because they're mistakenly guessing here initially. The premiums will change to higher vaccinated areas as time moves on is my guess. He missed the plot. 
So that that CEO, that uh, Scott Davison with One America, he's actually pro-vaccine. And in fact, they have mandated vaccines for everybody who works at One America. So this guy, even though he's looking at this data, he's not reading the data correctly. And the story continues. The implication to many was clear that the COVID-19 vaccine is linked to the excess mortality and months of vaccine injury reports were now spilling over to actuarial data, which is beginning to show, among other things, that younger, working-age people began dying in greater numbers as vaccine mandates hit for a disease which primarily kills older, non-working-age individuals. The counter-argument often presented without evidence is that the increase is due to people who postponed elective surgeries and other medical treatments during the pandemic. So what some people are coming back and are saying, well, yeah, there's, there's all these people, though, that are dying because they're dying of cancer or other untreated things because of all the lockdowns. Well, I have no doubt that there are people out there who have died because they you know, didn't have cancers or other things that were diagnosed because they couldn't get to the hospital because of all the lockdowns. I'm sure that that has gone on. But what you're seeing here is this is occurring in younger people. That's the surge in the deaths is actually in the younger people. So these are people that are probably aren't going to be prone to dying from those types of diseases. And it continues here. Ex-BlackRock fund manager Ed Dowd is in the former camp. That is, Ed Dowd believes that it's the vaccines that are killing people and has spent the last month analyzing breadcrumbs associated with a rise in excess mortality versus pre-pandemic levels. Given that we're now in the middle of earnings season, there are some pretty big crumbs rolling out of the insurance and funeral services industries, which are beginning to paint a disturbing picture. A few key observations, mortality worsened in 2021 versus 2020 despite widespread vaccinations, or maybe because of them. Is is Of course, that's what Ed Dowd believes. That's what I believe. And it continues here. A spike in mortality among younger working-age individuals coincided with vaccine mandates. The spike in younger, younger deaths peaked in the third quarter of 2021 when COVID deaths were extremely low, but rising into the end of September. So there's more there, but that's that kind of gives you a flavor of that particular article. And then here's uh, the last piece, and I, I was going to talk about this last week, but I guess I, I got sidetracked. I didn't get around to it. But this is an article that just came through tonight that built on uh, that uh, I guess actually just kind of rehashes some of the the story that was out last week. And there's a headline here. It says this medical data from the U.S. Department of Defense. DMED database is explosive. Mainstream media has been ordered to ignore it. The DMED data ex- uh, exposed by attorney Tom Rents and Senator Johnson is a smoking gun. General Austin should order all military docs to speak the truth, but he isn't. Why not? And this is by Steve Kirsch. Steve Kirsch has a Substack newsletter. He's done a lot of good work on COVID as well. You may want to subscribe to his newsletter. He's got a paid version where you get everything, but he's also got a a free version that he usually puts out a, a few posts a week that are free, and they're well worth reading. This is a, quite a good piece here. 
And this is what he says. He says, on February 1st, 2022, U.S. Senator Ron Johnson sent a letter to Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin on February the 1st, highlighting the dramatic rise in adverse events reported in the Defense Medical Epidemiology Database. That's the DMED database. After the vaccines were rolled out to the military, if the vaccines are truly safe and effective, these increases are difficult to explain. And here's the uh, here's the letter. This is a, a PDF of the letter that Senator Ron Johnson from Wisconsin, this is coming from a senator. Okay, so I mean, this isn't just some hack. I mean, uh, Ron Johnson has actually been very, very good. He's been one of the best senators in really dogging this uh, this COVID thing. He's also done some other good work on safer thing, instances like things such as immigration. I think he's one of the best senators in the uh, in the Senate. He's a Republican from Wisconsin, and here's what he he writes here. I'm not going to read the whole letter, but what he does do is he bullet points out some of the increases. And this is what he says. There are also increases in registered diagnoses in 2021 for the following medical conditions. Hypertension, up 2,181%. Diseases of the nervous system, 1,048% increase. Malignant neoplasms of esophagus, 894% increase. Multiple sclerosis, 680% increase. Malignant neoplasms of digestive organs, 624% increase. Guillain-Barre syndrome, 551% increase. Breast cancer, 487% increase. Demyelinating, 487% increase. Now, I had to look up what demyelinating was. And what that is, is it's a condition. You're, the, the neurons in your brain, are there's like this um, myelene coat, coating on them that I guess helps with uh, neurotransmissions. And when that demyelinating is when that that coating is is stripped off and it, apparently i mean if these if this number is true here it's very possible that the vaccine is causing is attacking this this myeline sheath on people's uh neurons in their brain and i can't imagine that that would be a good thing um, you know, I've, I've heard some people talk about, for instance, brain fog and the like, and I don't know if that's a source of that. It could be something, you know, it could cause even more serious problems, but that's, that's not a good thing. Malignant neoplasms of thyroid and other endocrine glands, 474% increase. Female infertility, 472% increase. Pulmonary embolism, 468% increase. Migraines, 452% increase. Ovarian dysfunction, 437% increase. Testicular cancer, 369% increase. Tachycardia, that's a very fast heartbeat, is a 302% increase. Now, there was also an article that was put out, and this is an article, it's by Dr. Robert W. Malone. He's uh, someone who's credited with being one of, or, or maybe the primary inventor of the mRNA technology, and he's come out and been very much opposed to the the use of of mandatory vaccines. And of course, he was famously interviewed by Joe Rogan a few weeks ago, and that's one of the things that got everybody all up in arms at Joe Rogan. But this guy has tremendous credentials, and he he. Is is very has been very involved in in vaccine development in this sort of mRNA uh, gene therapy kind of uh, kinds of treatments, 
And he actually talks about this, this very report from the Defense Medical Epidemiological Database, that DMED database. He talks about it in this article. And he, he puts some cautions around it because he says this data is kind of raw and there can be things that corrupt the data, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, the data is, is so um, just, I mean, the, the, the increase in 2021 over the, over the prior five years is just tremendous. And it's kind of hard to believe that that all of that increase is just noise or or bad data. I mean that that's basically his conclusion. And the other thing too about it is that the data that you're getting out of the military database and and the mil the medical database from the military is considered to be I've heard some people describe it as the gold standard of of medical databases because they track everything they're very very disciplined about it. And, and so it's considered to be very high quality data. But, you know, the, the other thing about this that I think is, is pretty, uh, pretty disturbing is that it, it, it trends in the same direction as all the other data that we see. It, it fits in very well, fits in perfectly with the, the kinds of information we're getting out of the insurance companies. It all points in the same direction that these vaccines are killing people. And here's another one. This is another one by Steve Kirsten. This just came out this evening as I was getting my getting the uh, the script here together. It's got a headline: "Cancer's coming back with a vengeance." is a very co- is very common after the COVID vax. And here he says, "If I had a dollar for every person who was related to a story about a friend whose cancer was in remission before the COVID jabs, then became uncontrollable shortly after the jab, I could retire." And here again, he refers to the DMED database. It shows the rate of cancer was up three times after the COVID vaccines rolled out. And talking with Ryan Cole about this, he believes it's primarily due to accelerating existing cancers. Once people already know they have, or recent cancers that people never realized were there, rather than creating new cases of cancer. And let's see, this one fellow here. Yeah, I guess these are a couple of emails that he received. I'll just read this. I watched the second opinion and was wondering if you had found any information on something we talked about. The topic I'm interested in is the untranslated human genes added to the mRNA vaccines that are being dis- discussed as possibly adversely affecting how the immune system goes after cancer cells in order to reduce the inflammatory response of the vaccine. I've seen several articles published with case studies of specific patients who had a massive progression of their cancer post-vaccine. And I know two people personally who have had a cancer that's pretty serious. I was talking to my doc yesterday, and she said one of her patients was diagnosed on Monday and dead by Thursday last week. She had no previous cancer. And Steve Kirsch concludes this. He says, so if you've recently been vaccinated and your previously under control cancer is now out of control, the cause is that safe and effective vaccine you took. Well, this is a really disturbing thing. And, you know, when I first heard about these vaccines, and again, I'm not coming at this as someone who is a, a medical professional in any way, but when you hear about gene therapy, you know, that it goes in and it supposedly only affects your, your RNA. And I, I thought to myself, you know, I just don't like the sound of any of that. You know, we know that it hasn't been very thoroughly tested. 
And the idea that you're going to go in and, and do something that's going to affect my, my RNA, how do we know that's not going to affect DNA? How do we know it's not either going to cause cancer or cause cancers that are already existing to accelerate? That was one of the first things that came into my mind. And again, I'm not saying I, I, I don't, I'm not coming at that as a scientist, as somebody who has knowledge in this particular area, but I think that's a legitimate concern. And unfortunately, it seems to be proving out, or there's at least some indication that that's the case. We'll have to to wait and see if if, if more information comes up. But I I don't like the initial results. They're they're very disturbing. Now I have a few odds and ends that I just wanted to touch base on real quick. Let's see how we're doing on time. Well, we're getting on to fifty minutes. Probably ought to close this out pretty quickly, but we can go through these. Here's this is a story from Breitbart. Biden's newest reparations plan. So this isn't COVID related. This is just some odds and ends. Biden's newest reparations plan: pay off Trump era border crossers with amnesty. You may have heard, you know, a few a few months ago they were going to give everybody who was caught and separated from from his family. At the border under Donald Trump, they were going to give him $450,000 apiece. Well, I guess that didn't go through. But now I suppose the uh, the Biden regime wants to, instead of giving them, you know, showering them with $450,000, they want to just give them American citizenship. They just want to amnesty them. So, I mean, again, you know, part of this is they want to flood the country with with Democrats. And I think they want to get this done as soon as possible. You know, it's why you have some of these municipalities such as New York and some other places that are allowing allowing non-citizens to vote because they're trying to destroy the integrity of our elections. And of course, this is this would be a perfect way to do that. You just take all these people who are illegally in the country, you say, okay, you're all legal, you're all citizens. Now you can go out and vote Democrat. And that's exactly what this is. I mean, they're, they're destroying the value, they're destroying any distinction um, given by American citizenship. They're just giving the country away. I mean, it's absolutely disgusting what this man, talking about Joe Biden, is doing. So let's go on here to another one. This is another one from Breitbart. Interesting headline here. Jesuit Cardinal calls for change in church teaching on homosexuality. When I saw this first, I, I think I came across this on Twitter. And somebody's comment on that was, uh, Jesuit's going to Jesuit. If you, if you follow Alex Berenson at all, he's coined this, this saying, he's the one, one that writes a lot on COVID. He said, virus going to virus. You know, that a virus is going to do what a virus is going to do is, is basically the idea behind that. And this guy just, he kind of paraphrasing, he says, Jesuit's going to Jesuit. You know, that is Jesuits are going to do what Jesuits are going to do. And that is continually, continually subvert things. And, you know, here we have this Jesuit cardinal. He calls for change in church teaching on homosexuality. And you read through this a little bit. It says it's uh, from Rome. It says Jesuit cardinal uh, Jean-Claude Hollerich uh, told Catholic News Agency Tuesday that the Catholic Church should change his teaching on homosexuality. Cardinal Hollerich, the Archbishop of Luxembourg and president of the EU Bishops' Commission, so he's a big shot, said that Catholic teaching on the sinfulness of homosexual relations is mistaken and needs to be updated. I believe that the sociological scientific foundation of this teaching is no longer correct, Hollerich said, while calling for a fundamental revision of the teaching. The Catholic Church teaches that same-sex attraction is objectively disordered. Okay, so you know, so the you know, the, and it's not just him. There, I've noticed this with a lot of Jesuits. Of course, Pope Francis 
has given uh, some support to uh, same-sex marriages, same-sex, uh, yeah, same-sex weddings, marriages. There's a guy, um, Martin is his last name. I can't think of his first name right now. He's an American. He's a Jesuit, a pretty, a pretty prominent guy, but his last name is Martin. He's out there pushing for uh, for same-sex uh, marriage as well for for changing what the Catholic Church teaches about uh, about homosexuality, and I think this is going to happen. I mean, it sure looks like it. I mean, these Jes- if these Jesuits get their way, and they seem to be in a position where they're they're getting their way on pretty much everything. Now, here's another story, and I wanted to just touch on this somewhat briefly too because I think it's important. It says federal judge blocks enforcement of Texas anti BDS law. Now, BDS that stands for boycott, disinvest, sanction. And what has happened is that in a lot of states, not just Texas, but in a lot of states, there are laws that say that if you uh, boycott, disinvest, sanction Israel, just Israel, not any other nation, just Israel, that you cannot work for the state. You cannot receive contracts from the state. And it's been consistently found, so far anyway, um, as a, vi- a violation of the, the First Amendment, which it is. And let's just read a little bit of the story here. It says, a federal judge on Friday blocked a Texas law barring government entities from doing business with contractors that participated in boycott, disinvestment, and sanctions activity from being enforced against a Palestinian-American contractor saying that the law infringed on the contractor's First Amendment rights. Houston-based A&R Engineering and Testing, which is owned by Palestinian-American Razmi Hasuna, in October, filed a lawsuit against the anti-boycott law, uh, arguing that the anti-boycott law was unconstitutional, according to Axios. The speech contemplated by Rasmus' company may make some individuals, especially those who identify with Israel, uncomfortable, anxious, or even angry. U.S. District Court Judge Andrew uh, Hannon wrote in his ruling, Nevertheless, speech, even speech that upsets other segments of the population, is protected by the First Amendment unless it escalates into violence and misconduct, he continued. And of course, the judge is absolutely right about that. You know, one of the things with, and one of, I think one of the real blind spots I think a lot of evangelical Christians have is, is Israel. In their mind, Israel can do no wrong. But what we see here, and it's not just in Texas, you can see this in, in many other states. I believe there's even a similar law here in, in Ohio, for example, that, you know, if, if you, speak out against Israel, if you criticize Israel, if you, you engage in boycotting or sanctioning or disinvesting in Israel or advocating that people do that, you can suffer a loss of a job. Um, there was, a, I think there was a teacher in a, in a Texas school district that sued because she was going to lose her job because she wouldn't sign. They, they wanted her to sign some kind of a um, like a waiver, not a waiver, but but some kind of an official document saying that she would not engage in these activities. And she refused to sign. She lost her job. And then she sued and got it back. But I mean, one of the things that you see is that the Israel lobby in the United States consistently attacks the First Amendment of the Constitution. And they need to be rebuked for that. You know, and and shame on these governors. And I think it was, was Greg Abbott was the one that signed that in the law. Shame on him for doing that. 
He deserves to be criticized for that. And the people who push for those sorts of things and the people and the politicians who, who back them, who sign them, who support them, they need to be rebuked. This is really dangerous stuff and it can't be allowed to stand. And let's see here. Oh, there was one other thing I wanted to mention here. And this was related to uh, the Roman church state. Oh, goodness. Oh, yeah, here we go. It was a, a tweet that was put out on February 3rd. This is from Bill Malugin. He's with Fox News. And he has this, this video that he tweeted out, and it's this interview with this nun. Her name is Norma Pimentel. And she is the, the executive director of Catholic Charities of the Rio Grande Valley. And in this particular, I'm not going to play the video, but what she says is she explains that Catholic Charities of the Rio Grande Valley is getting reimbursed with taxpayer dollars when they go out and they buy plane tickets or bus tickets for illegal aliens who've, you know, all these people flooding across our border. They're buying bus tickets and plane tickets to fly these people or bust them someplace else in the country. And they're getting reimbursed. And who knows, they're probably getting reimbursed at a profit. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, you know, Catholic Charities is a racket. It's an anti-American racket. And, and much in the activity they engage in is treasonous. But especially, maybe most and especially Catholic Charities of the Rio Grande Valley. Because of where they're located. Look, I mean, this is the Catholic Charities that's in charge of a pretty big swath of the U.S. Uh, the U.S.-Mexico border. Maybe they cover all of it. I don't know. But I know that they, they are significantly involved in just about all of this stuff going on. And they do everything in their power to import as many illegal aliens into this country as possible. They are one of the primary facilitators of this. And this person, this Norma Pimentel, uh, has done a, a yeoman's job at swamping the United States with uh, illegal immigrants. She was one a few months ago, and this came out in the fall of, of last year, of 2021, that there were all these people that were being put up in hotels in one city in Texas that had COVID. You know, all these, these migrants that were coming across the border, and it was Catholic charities that was putting them up. And when she was confronted by this by a news reporter, and, and they asked her, you know, how many of these migrants are, are COVID positive? She's, her response was, I've been advised not to answer that question, or something to that effect. That's maybe not an exact quote. But she had been advised not to, to talk about that particular subject. So, you know, here you are, you're going to, not only are you going to flood the country with migrants, you're going to flood the country with sick people and maybe uh, cause Americans to get sick that otherwise wouldn't be. But, I mean, Catholic Charities doesn't care about the well-being of Americans. They don't care about them all. They don't even care about the, the well-being of the migrants. Because there are, being a migrant is a very dangerous thing, and they encourage that. And these migrants, many of whom are injured, some of whom are killed or have uh, terrible things done to them on the journey, well, part of the blame falls with Catholic Charities of the Rio Grande Valley because they encourage this stuff. And part of that falls on Norma Pimentel. So let's see what else we have here. I guess what I wanted to do, and in, in just in closing, I know there's a lot of stuff, and I'm sorry for throwing a lot of things at you, but as Christians, you know, we're, we're getting ready for the Lord's Day tomorrow, or I guess maybe later today. <laughs> it's it's uh, about 12.45 in the morning. But you know, we, we think about 
Well, the Apostle Paul wrote to the, to the Corinthians, he says, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. So it's God who leads us to triumph in Christ. You know, and as Christians, we have to have, you know, we, we need to be optimists, or maybe not optimist isn't the right word, but we can't be discouraged. You know, you and I have a job to do. You know, I think it's a, a real honor in a lot of ways to live at the time we do, because right now here in the, the formerly free, formerly uh, Christian West, you know, we have seen the rise of some really, truly terrible people into positions of power. And maybe one of the things that, that, and I wouldn't even say maybe, I think one of the jobs the Lord has laid upon, certainly I, I feel this, and I think all of us in one way or another have this job, is to push back on the evil, to refute the evil, to refute, rebuke, reprove people, you know, whether it's, it's presidents, whether it's prime ministers, whether it's senators, whether it's, it's bureaucrats. We need to reprove them for their attacks on liberty. We need to reprove them for their attacks on justice. We need to reprove them for their arrogance, for being out of touch, for being high-handed in the way they deal with people, for their lawlessness. These things that we need to reprove. We need to rebuke, we need to point them out, and we need to point people to a better way in Christ. That's the only way we're going to be able to overcome this. And I, I don't know what's going to happen with all of these things. I, I don't know how all this is going to work out, but I do know that as Christians, you and I are charged to fight the good fight of faith and to fight it in Christ. And remember that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That's another uh, in, another famous passage that, that Paul, where Paul talked about the, the Christian soldier. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. You know, ultimately our enemies aren't people like Joe Biden or Justin Trudeau, as bad as they are. It's the, the spiritual forces of wickedness that stand behind them. What you and I are experiencing now, this is spiritual warfare. This is what spiritual warfare looks like. I think maybe a lot of people might not expect that. But, you know, what we're seeing, what's going on, the, the kinds of, of mindsets, the kinds of ideas that are being put forth by people in very high places is evil. And what they're doing is they call good evil and evil good, just like what Isaiah said. They put light for darkness and darkness for light. And we need to point that out. You and I have that job. And I love doing it. I think it's a wonderful, a wonderful opportunity. I, I love being in the fight. I hope you love being in the fight. And I need to commit to praying more for, for all of us as Christians, to learn how to stand, have the courage to stand, and to really find joy in doing that. Because I think there is, a, I, I, I love doing this program. I love being able to go out and write things. And, and I, want, I hope that, that maybe I communicate a little bit of that to you too. Because I know that the words that we speak, if we speak, uh, if, if, if we, we believe the, the scriptures, we apply them correctly, those are not useless words. It honors God. It edifies our, our, fellow, our fellow believer. And perhaps even God can use those words to bring people to Christ. So don't lose hope. Don't lose heart. Don't be afraid. Don't be deceived. Stand strong and fight like men. 
That's what we need to do. Well, that's all for this week. Thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate that. Until we talk next time, may the spirit of truth guide you in all truth as you read and study God's word. <laughs>